Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And this week we read Parsha Tazriya Metzora, double Parsha, which the bulk of which is about Sarat. Often translated as leprosy, but we're not going to go with that translation. We're just going to call it Sarat in English and in Hebrew. And Sarat is this seemingly mysterious, semi-spiritual, semi-physical condition where something, some kind of discoloration or other problem would appear in someone's skin. And then when they noticed it, they had to bring the Kohen to come examine it. And then there would be a seven day waiting period if it seemed iffy to see if it grew or not. And then if it was confirmed to definitely be Tzara'at, then the person with it would have to leave the camp until the Sarat healed, uh, healed. And then they would get to re-enter the camp, but they wouldn't be able to re-enter their tent um, for seven days. And then on the eighth day, they would offer sacrifices and there would be this like final purification ritual, at which point then they could fully re-enter. And so it's it, just to, to take a moment to appreciate, this is a really long process that we're talking about. Um, if someone does indeed have Tzara'at, I mean, what is it, three weeks or something like that at least, um, it's a really big deal. And it's also something that would then create some kind of isolation from the community. This is something that happens to one person, involves the Kohen coming, and then really affects one person's life in a very visible way because of their separation from the community or and having to leave and go back in or stay at home the whole time, etc. And so it's very involved. In fact, it's the most involved impurity and then purification process that we have in the Torah. We don't have anything else that's this intense, that has stages, that takes this long. And so, of course, you can imagine that this invites a lot of questions about Sarat. Now, the foremost question is um, classic Torah style gives us lots of details about Sarat, what its appearance is, the process of purification, but of course neglects to tell us why someone might actually get Sarat. And of course, as we discussed last week, human nature is often, we want to know, okay, well, we've got this like weird skin condition that might really cause someone um, unparalleled isolation from the community. Why, why would someone get something like this, right? What is this? Especially because it's not that we can't, we can't really look to our medical knowledge and find an exact parallel. There are different skin conditions that people suggest perhaps could be what Sarat is, but those are really, I think, educated guesses and no one really knows for sure. So because of this, and because it's such an involved process, because it involves isolation, many people conclude that it's a punishment. Um, I think the most traditionally we think of it as a punishment for speaking Lashon Hara, um, for speaking gossip, for speaking ill about someone. And there are a lot of connections about the toxicity of words and the way that we have to isolate someone who's speaking toxic words from the community because words spread throughout the community. And so you can draw a lot of thematic parallels between the physical experience of someone with Sarat and versus the um, the mental, the emotional experience of someone who speaks Lashon Hara and then the way that it spreads in the community and the way that we have to then cleanse the community of bad things that are said. Now, interestingly, not everyone agrees that Sarat is a punishment for something. There is more. There are more minority opinions that say it's not a punishment. It's just something that happened. 
right? It's just circumstantial. There's a lot of desire amongst rabbis and scholars to try to find explanations for these systems of Tuman Tahara, for these systems of purity and impurity and the various circumstances under which it arises. And Sarah, it is not only not an exception, it's really the, I think the main area. And, but not everyone accepts that, well, there must be reasons behind it. And there is an opinion that it's not reflective of a punishment. It's not reflective that anything went wrong. It's just something that happened. And then we have to deal with it. Now, there's one pasuk really in particular in Parsha Tzriya Matsura that I think challenges us in how we think about Sarad, whether it's a punishment or whether it's just circumstantial. And I'm looking at chapter 13, verse 45. And which tells us that for the person who has tsara'at, what does this person do? Begadav ihiyu frumim, his clothes shall be rent, his clothes shall be torn. Berosho parua, and his head shall be left bare. Ve'al safam yate, and he shall cover his upper lip. Ve'tame tame ikra. Here it's translated as he shall call out unclean, unclean. Now, um, that last part is a, a difference of translation. Tame tame ikra, ikra can mean he calls out. He has to literally verbalize, I'm tame, I'm tame. Um, some people say, no, it means that he is referred to as tame, not that he has to literally pronounce it. But that aside, okay, we're told until now, Tzarad, it's about isolation, reentering the community, going outside the camp, etc. But now we're told something much more intense um, than that. That someone, they have to tear their clothes, they have to bare their heads, signs of mourning, and cover their upper lip. Um, Ibn Ezra says that it's because their breath is toxic, and so they have to cover it so that it doesn't infect anyone else, which certainly this year in 2021, we can all relate to that experience, having to cover our mouths because of the, the potential contaminants that it contains. And then he has to either be labeled as Tame or call out Tame. So this is something that really designates him, not just as someone who is sick, but as someone who is in mourning, someone who very visibly is undergoing uh, a, a serious physical transformation, right? These are signs of mourning. You purposely, in mourning, you purposely look unkempt so that you aren't focused on physical at things at this time, right? You're focused on the mourning and not on what you look like. And so that person, the Mitsora, has to parallel, has to mirror that way of living. And I think for that, one of the main reasons that a lot of people say that this is about punishment, because if it's about punishment, then this pasuk makes sense because it's really coming to shame that person, right? That's saying, well, this person did something wrong. Not only do they have to suffer with Sarah, but also they have to go through this humiliating, frankly, experience of also tearing their clothes Bearing their heads, covering their upper lip, and all of this, right? They have to, it's like they're declaring themselves as being guilty. And also, I think one of the things to back up that position is that you see this in the book of Echa too, that there's similar language, similar imagery 
that after the destruction of the temple, one of the embarrassing things is that the people are walking around and they're bloodied and they're they're helpless, and that others look at them and say tame, right? That they're it's a way of thinking about other people jeering at you, of other people capitalizing on your shame, on your humiliation, and making it worse. And I think that that's probably where some of these explanations of Sarah being about sin come from. And also, in fact, if you look at the, the Ibn Ezra and many others, um, for example, it, he says that this is the person is in mourning. The, the, the person's in mourning in that specific pasuk because they did something wrong. Right. And so it's not just that you're mirroring mourning. You're actually like really are mourning because you are, you know, it's supposed to induce Mourning al roa ma'asaf, on the just the degree of, of of evil of badness of that person's actions. So that's thinking about it as sin. And frankly, I think that those explanations make it sound kind of nice. But I also, and it, it makes it cohere. It makes it make sense. But I also want to consider the possibility of it not being about sin, of it just being circumstantial. Now, if you're going to say that the rest of Tzara'at is just circumstantial. So you say, okay, this is something that just happens to someone. And then it's not ideal to have to be in quarantine in your house and then outside the community and then a slow reentry process. But I think one that, again, in 2021, most of us can probably relate to that, right? It takes on a whole new meaning once you've actually experienced it. Being in quarantine, it's very annoying. Um, it's difficult, but it's something you can get through. And it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It just means that for whatever reason, you have to be in quarantine. But then with that in mind, how do you explain this pasuk of the person who has to enter into this mourning state, cover themselves up, and then call out, either be labeled or call out to themselves, unclean, unclean, tame, tame. And the Gemara offers a beautiful explanation of why then this would happen. And the Gemara says, this teaches us that this person has to make his suffering known to the masses. Why? So that the masses can request for mercy, right? Pray for mercy on his behalf from God. Um, and that's a really interesting idea, right? That this introduces the concept that a person who is suffering from some kind of physical, maybe spiritual also uh, condition that causes this total disruption in their life and isolation and enormous frustration. That part of the process is not that they, they stay within themselves, right? Because technically, if you have to isolate in your house and then isolate outside the camp, this is a very isolated process, right? A person could stay alone, not have to converse with anyone else, and you can stay with your own thoughts. And that would really kind of make it worse. And so what this, this idea does is say, no, the person actually has a connection to their community, even if they have to be physically isolated. And what is that connection? The person has to bear, just like they're bearing their heads, they, have to, they also have to bear their pain. And it is by witnessing their pain that the others will then request for mercy on their behalf. And I, I think this is such a, a nice idea when you think about it, because we do tend to live very private lives. We have this strange thing where it's often sharing your struggles is, it's not really considered to be something I think that a lot of us think of 
as something that people should do, right? We assume people don't want to deal with our other problems. And a lot of us really do suffer in, suffer in silence, um, suffer in isolation, and perhaps even continue to post cute pictures on Facebook or Instagram that make our lives look great when really, in fact, we are having a very hard time internally. And this says, no, you actually, you take your pain and you physically wear your pain so that other people will see you. And once other people see you, then they'll pray for you, right? So they, they, you establish a spiritual connection with them. And wouldn't that be, isn't that a nice message for us to think about when how we build community and how we find um, community in each other, find fellowship in each other, that yeah, sometimes we should lay our pain bare. And you have to strike a balance, of course. This isn't saying in every circumstance you do that. But when you're going through something really, really hard, yeah, you're supposed to say, this is, I'm having a hard time. And therefore invite other people into your process and invite them to support you. Um, and yeah, even a more benign example, when we had to go into quarantine, my family and I, um, back in November, I purposely told people that in my community. And I said, if you don't mind, like, next time we're going to the grocery store, do you mind checking in with me first to see if there's anything that we need, right? Because it was, we could, a lot of people, if they had to go into quarantine, kept totally silent about it, ordered their groceries, or just dealt with not having Cheerios for two weeks. But here it said, no, this is, this is something you shouldn't be, something that it shouldn't be a source of shame. Sharing should be a source of finding comfort and finding strength in other people. And I think that understanding Tzarad is not being about sin, then offers us the really beautiful opportunity to embrace this teaching and see that it's not just that if you have to declare yourself impure, that it's coming from a source of this is trying to increase your shame. It's trying to humiliate you further. It's trying to make you reflect on your sins and make it worse. No, it's trying to say, hey, I'm going through a hard time and I need help. And so I would encourage us to both consider being more transparent about our own needs when we are having a hard time. And also I think being willing to see when other people are crying out to us and consider that moving, taking relationships to those next stages and community to those next stages really enables us to support each other in the way that the Torah envisions. Shabbat Shalom.